1: From the BTG studio in Rochester, New York, this is the Beyond the Game program Sports Talk Without the Trash Talk. I'm Rick Benson. With me, as always, is Zach Barletta. Check us out at our website, btgprogram.com, or give us a follow on Twitter, or maybe even a like on Facebook, at BTG Program. We have a lot to do on today's show. We, I think we got a pretty terrific show coming up, Zach. we got some things that I like to talk about. Agreed. Coming up, the Baseball Hall of Fame vote was announced this week. We'll take a look at who got in, who didn't, and I am I am very interested to hear how our great statistical analysis, that's you, Zach, <laughs> feels about the results. Plus Rob Gronkowski. Now, no, no fans are in this room of Rob Gronkowski. He got his bell rung in last Sunday's AFC Championship game, which seemed like fair turnabout after his cheap shot a few weeks ago on Buffalo Bills' Tredavious White. Gronk's a polarizing figure. There were many who felt his getting knocked out of the game was a long time coming. But come on, is it really cool to celebrate a player's injury, especially a head injury? We'll get into that. Zach has new shenanigans statements. We'll take a look at this week's athletics happenings at Roberts Westing College in the Red Hawks recap. And of course, we'll tell you what it is we like this week. But let's take a quick break. Come right back along with the aforementioned Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program.
0: Learn more at stjude.org.
2: Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of unsolved mysteries, mythical monsters, murder whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, the Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, MythsAndMysteriesPod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries Podcast, and we'll see you next time.
1: Rick Benson, Zach Barletta, this is Beyond the Game program, mixing sports with just a bit of faith. Congratulations to the four players who were elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame this past week. Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, Jim Tomei, and Trevor Hoffman appeared on the necessary 75% of the ballots submitted by the Baseball Writers of America Association. They'll now join Alan Trammell and Jack Morris, who were voted in back in the fall by the Modern Era Committee. Chipper Jones, Zach, and Jim Tomey were elected in their first year of eligibility. As they should as have they, been. Exactly right, as they should have been. But the top two vote-getters this year was Jones and Vladimir Guerrero. The thing that confuses me, if Guerrero, who received 392 votes out of 422 ballots, which is good enough for 92.9%, why didn't he get in last year? Because last year, I don't know what he got last year, but it had to be less than 75%. Now, a year later, you've jumped to almost 93. A guy is either a Hall of Famer or he's not. Mm-hmm. The The vote should not be left up to whatever whim the writers are determining is their way of uh, policing or protecting the integrity of the Hall of Fame. Clearly, some guy thought that, or a number of guys, if he went from less than 75% to Darn near 93%. Some guys felt like he was Hall of Fame worthy, but not first ballot Hall of Fame worthy. That's ridiculous. A guy is either in the Hall of Fame or he's not. He's either mm-hmm. worthy or he's not. Who, it, this idea of I'm going to decide whether he's first ballot, second ballot, third ballot, or in the case of Edgar Martinez, Maybe he's going to get a whole bunch of sympathy votes next year. He missed out now for the ninth time. Mm
2: -hmm. Next year
1: is his last year of eligibility.
2: I think he'll get in next year. I mean, he only missed by 20 votes this year. And like you said, in his last year of eligibility, I think he's going to get those votes that he needs. But Vladimir Guerrero, I'm glad he got in because he's one of my favorite players. Oh, yeah. So fun to watch.
1: Terrific player. But my point is, why wasn't he in a year ago?
2: Yeah. Like you said, if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer first or second ballot hall of famer should matter. If you're good enough, you go in. I agree. Jones was a top vote getter,
1: getting 410 total votes, which was 97.2%. That is 11th highest in balloting history, but that means there were 12 ballots which Chipper Jones did not appear on. Which That's I have
2: ridiculous. To,
1: absolutely. Why? Seriously, the Hall of Fame should they should have. They should have an explanation as part of the ballot. If you did not put him in, you need to offer an explanation as to why.
2: He's as close to a unanimous choice as anybody should be. Those twelve guys were probably Mets fans. chipper jones owned the men's
1: whatever it is whatever explanation you give is going to be insufficient because chipper jones is a hall of famer and the 12 of you who did not vote for him should lose your licenses oh man there are some voters who make the argument that since there's never been a unanimous choice that there shouldn't be Mm -hmm. babe ruth ty cobb uh king griffey jr i think were the three closest if i'm not mistaken Since they weren't unanimous, writers think, well, I'm not voting for anybody. And I just think that is just flawed. Those guys that voted back in the 1930s for Babe Ruth or Mm -hmm. didn't vote for Babe Ruth or Ty they're not voting now. So why would you, as a writer, want to repeat their mistake? Coming up next year is Mariano Rivera. Now, I know some guys have a grudge against closers, but come on. Trevor Hoffman got in this year. He got in with about just a couple of percentage points below 80%, essentially, of the vote. And, and I think that should have been higher. But that's why I think that Mariano Rivera is not going to be a unanimous choice, even though I think he probably should be. Because is there anything about Mariano Rivera that's not a Hall of Famer? The guy obviously is. Who's going to leave him off his ballot? But Trevor Hoffman, who was the greatest until Mariano, he only got 80%. I can't imagine they're not going to hold a grudge against Mariano as well. Derek Jeter's coming up in a few years. If he ever does retire, Ichiro Suzuki. Again, guys (laughs) that I think, how do you not vote for those guys? How do you not put them in the hall? Eventually, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, guys like that are going to be Mm -hmm. eligible. And if they continue playing at the level they're playing, obviously towards the end of their career, they'll probably have somewhat of a natural decline curve, but They'll be in the same situation or a similar situation as Chipper Jones. How do you not vote for those guys? The vote was changed a few years ago. They took votes away from some guys that had covered baseball years ago, hadn't covered baseball in many years, so they took the votes and and gave them to somebody else, which you would think the new guys that are voting are obviously younger. I would think that is why Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds have been getting a little bit more love on... The vote, if you follow the vote, in the days leading up to it, guys were revealing their ballots. And if you track those ballots, they were somewhere right around that magic 75%. Yeah. There was some talk like they might get in. They were numbers,
2: Clemens and Bonds were numbers seven and eight in votes this year.
1: Clemens, what, 57%. I think Bonds was right behind them somewhere right around 56%. 56,
2: <laughs> yeah. They were less than a full percentage. Which apart. is
1: why I don't think you guys should be able to reveal your ballots. Because yeah. you went from talking about 75% based on early reveals to 57 and 56%. But I think there is a softening, wouldn't you agree, when it comes to Absolutely. the steroid guys?
2: Yeah, yeah. The, I hate to say it, but the crusty old guys are slowly being weeded out. And, you know, the younger guys who I, I think are in, in my age range are slightly older— who watched Barry Bonds, who watched Roger Clemens and appreciated how great they are, I think more and more people understand now that they were great before the steroids. The steroids may have enabled them to do what they did sure. longer, but the Hall of is a museum.
1: Absolutely. These guys were Hall of Famers before yeah. the alleged steroid use. That's why I think these guys should get in. I don't think you can approach the steroid guys with a broad stroke. Each one of them have to be analyzed individual on a case-by-case basis. For one reason, it's too hard to define who is and who isn't. Most of those guys are rumored to be users. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of guys that are proven users. So it gets real hard to define them. Personally, obviously, I think the cheating was wrong. I get it. I, I can't debate that. But it's the penalty that is debatable. Should they be out of the hall? Should they be in the hall? A guy like Sammy Sosa, I don't I don't see a Hall of Fame career apart from the steroid years, and that's not the case with Bonds or Clemens. I'm coaching a JV basketball team made up of Chinese students studying here in the United States. It's really a terrific thing as they're playing at some of the other schools. I got this one young man. He's probably our best shooter. Likes to hit the scores table at every chance to find out his stats. The other night, we're playing a game, and he scores a basket. No timeout. On his way back up the court, stops at the score table. while play is going on, stops at the scorer's table to find out his stats. We've told him on a number of occasions, look, you can't do that. The team comes first. It doesn't matter individually. But yet, we all like our stats. We like to compare each other, and that's what we're doing here with these baseball players. But his broken English comes in handy at times. You know, we tell him, man, don't stop at the score table. Just do that stuff at the end of the game. And he tells us, oh, sure, yeah, great, great. Very next play,
2: he's stopping at the
1: score <laughs> table. And I'm sure our next game, he's going to be stopping at the score table yet again.
2: Come on, dude. you got to get back and play some defense. I mean, I you know what I really appreciate? is when you watch a game and a guy has a great performance and they ask him after the game, you know, you scored 30 points or whatever. How did you do it? And the, the player's like, well, really? That was that many? Like, they don't know how many they scored in a game. I like that about a player because it shows that they're more interested in winning the game than in their personal statistics.
1: There's no language barrier. There's no culture barrier when it comes to self-glory. Guys love to know their stats, and that's what the Hall of Fame is all about. We want to compare players against other players, and... In our own lives, it comes down to the same thing. We want to know our stats. We go to the scores table or we want to know how many home runs we hit compared to other guys. Why? For our own self-glory. We can say the mature thing like we're just trying to find out where we need to improve. But in actuality, what we really want to know is where we stand and we want to be able to tell others about it as well. I've got more home runs. I've got more touchdown passes. I've, I've made more saves on the season. As a church rec leader, I sometimes struggle with stat keeping because there is only one reason to keep stats, and that's to compare ourselves against other people. But our spiritual lives are that way, too. You know, we compare ourselves to others. Look at me here. I give the most money. I serve in the most ministries, or I'm the pastor's best friend. I think a hard question to ask requires an honest inventory of our lives And that's to ask, is my life showing that I chase my own glory or that I want to see God get the glory? And when I examine my own self, I do think I truly desire to bring glory to Christ, but I also enjoy getting a few out of boys. I realize that I'm actually trying to share the glory with God. Yeah, I want God to get the glory, but I want some too. The Bible says in Luke 9.23, If anyone wishes to come after me, this is Jesus speaking, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That means not sharing glory with God. That means denying myself and giving everything to Jesus, following him completely. Denying myself means to live as he did, wholly focused on other people. Therefore, I ought to follow him and, and, and do what he has called me to do and not worry about getting accolades, not worrying about getting acknowledgement or credit or glory. There are many who say they serve Christ, and, and they do. They may have even committed themselves to full-time ministry, but yet they're still trying to accomplish their own dreams. They're still trying to have some sort of personal fulfillment in, in what it is they're doing. They're, they strive after some level of luxury in their lifestyle. Make sure, make sure, of course, that they're dropping something in the offering plate. You know, they're keeping up with their tithes, but it's not quite cross bearing, and and it's not quite self denial. It's something different. And look, I'm not saying that it's sinful to be comfortable. Of course not. It's if God has blessed you, that's great. Whatever comfortable means to you, I'm not saying it's wrong to have nice things. You know, if God has been pleased to give you those, but if that is what you are chasing then I would argue that you're not completely denying yourself and following after him. I think there's a difference between accepting God's blessings or chasing after rewards. I think those are two different things. We can be content, whether it be much or whether it be little, that we receive as a result of our work for him. I better say here that if you've given yourself solely to God, to his work, and to his glory, and you're content with whatever level of luxury, then you, then it's fine. There, there's no issue, which is why I go back into something I said. This is a difficult question to find out, and it requires a deep personal inventory of whose glory you're seeking. As believers— We're all called to be completely yielded to Jesus. If you call him Lord, then he needs to be just that. And we need to be dedicated to furthering his kingdom. God has gifted us for such a work. Being sold out is not supposed to be just for some. After telling followers that they need to deny themselves and take up his cross, Jesus made a very serious statement in verses 24 and 25 of Luke chapter 9. He says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? But losing your life for the sake of Christ, and I'm not necessarily talking about martyrdom here, though that does happen in places all around the world, especially other Countries other than ours, but it happens here in the United States, and it's certainly a possibility. But I'm not necessarily talking about martyrdom. I'm talking about losing yourself, denying yourself in terms of self-denial. The believer gains life more abundantly as a result. Think of it this way. I've heard people say that you don't lose a seed when you plant it. You don't see the seed again in that form. It goes into the ground and it dies, but it becomes something greater than it was before. And that's the life completely surrendered to Christ without regard for oneself. It becomes greater than it was before. The old self dies, and within it, God has nourished it, and God raises up this magnificent thing. That's what it is, to truly step out on faith and trust God. Colossians 2, six says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Taking up your cross is not some trial that you've gone through, not some inconvenience that you've endured. Jesus refers to it as a daily thing, not something that comes and goes in our lives. Taking up the cross is a complete lifestyle of wholeheartedly following after Christ. Our attitude, our character, is meant to be as Jesus' was. Titus two eleven and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. It's not easy to live godly because of the amount of self-denial it requires. We'll never totally arrive. Listen, we're never going to have it all together. The Christian faith is a slow, continuous work of becoming more and more like Christ, demonstrating characteristics in our lives that are consistent with how Jesus lived. And we're often going to fail. We're often going to fall. But we get back up and we continue towards a mark that is a Christ-centered life. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Look man, you screwed up yesterday. You maybe have screwed up today. Maybe you screwed up three days ago. Doesn't matter. What matters is what you're going to do today. Leave that stuff in the past. Don't worry about where you were yesterday. Don't worry about how you made how you messed up. Move on. Get right with God. Pick yourself up and move forward. Take up your cross and follow after him each day, again and again, not for our glory, but for God's. As we grow in our faith, we become a brighter light in the world, a stronger witness, a stronger testimony to a lost world as Christians who are, we're not stepping all over each other for our own fame and our own glory, but instead we're building up one another for God's glory. That's how we show Christ to a world that desperately needs him. Thanks so much for listening to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson. We're going to be right back right after this. Time now for the Red Hawks recap for this week, covering up through January 24th. The Red Hawks recap is being brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. A week ago Friday, it was a clean sweep on the road by the Red Hawks basketball teams against Queens College. Nasita James's 19 points led the women to a 79-67 win. Junior Peyton McLaurin's 21 points paced the men in their 72-60 win. Both squads were back in action on Sunday against Malloy College, and once again, both came away victorious. The women won handily 67-48 behind 21 points from senior Lucy Cobley. All 21 of LeCovely's points came by the three as she hit seven out of 15 shots attempted. The 77-69 win for the men was their fourth in a row. Junior Jean Toussaint posted a double-double, scoring 20 points and pulling down 13 rebounds. And sophomore Isaiah Lewis added 19 points. The Roberts Wesleyan Swim programs have had a busy week, starting first on Friday with a dual meet at Erie County Community College and then had to be back in the pool on Saturday for the Pioneer Invitational hosted by Alfred State College. During the weekend, a pair of freshmen, Jesse Gunn and Cameron Perry, came away with first-place finishes at ECC. Gunn won the 200-yard freestyle, while Perry won both the 100-yard butterfly and 100-yard backstroke. At Alfred on Saturday, Gunn placed first again in the 1650-yard relay, winning by just .04 seconds. The Red Hawks basketball teams will play host to Mercy College on Sunday, the 28th of January. The women tip off at 2 p.m., followed by the men at 4 p.m. Go on out and cheer them on as it's the only home action for the Roberts Athletic teams until the women's lacrosse team kicks off its season by hosting Merrimack College on Monday, February 12th at 3 p.m. You can see a full schedule of their games at their website, robertsredhawks.com. There you can also get news, scores, game highlights, and more. And you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. The Redhawks Recap has been brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. BTGprogram.com or at BTGprogram. Uh Sports talk without the trash talk. Look, let's get right to it. Zach, give us this week's (laughs) shenanigans statements.
2: All right. The Buffalo Bills should trade for Alex Smith and use their two first-round picks to draft starters at other positions of need.
1: Hmm, That's a tricky question, isn't it? It's tricky, tricky. I th- I think I agree. I-, I I believe the Bills are close. The defense is strong, uh, though they were inconsistent. They gave mm-hmm. up a lot of points
2: at times last year. They need I- to get better against the run for sure.
1: But no, I, I think so. They're close. I-, I think a veteran quarterback would do them well. They have some offensive weapons. I wouldn't give up much for him. Um, he's not exactly a proven postseason guy. But he'd be a significant upgrade to Tyrod Taylor and it'd be a nice solution for a few seasons until the Bills do get their next long-term guy. So yeah, I, I say I think so.
2: I am becoming more and more in the camp of that they should do this. When I look at what it's going to cost to move up to where they could get an impact quarterback in this draft, you're looking at probably both your first rounders this year, a second rounder, and probably also your first rounder next year. And I look at some of the holes on this team that they could fill with those picks like I talked about needing to shore up against the run, um, you could get a really good defensive tackle at the 21st or 22nd pick, maybe a linebacker to go with them, maybe an offensive lineman, maybe a wide receiver. So the Chiefs paid two second round picks for Alex Smith, and he's now much older than he was then. If you could get him for two second rounders, have both your first rounders and your second and third rounder to, to draft some impact starters, I think I would be on board with it. So I will say agree. So
0: bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him.
2: Number two, after the New England Patriots beat the Jaguars on Sunday in the AFC title game, conspiracy theories began popping up all over the internet. The Patriots were called for only one penalty for 10 yards in the entire game, and that was on special teams. A referee congratulated Pat's players after their go-ahead touchdown, and a referee ran up to be the first to congratulate Tom Brady immediately after the game. So truth or shenanigans, the Patriots got help from the officials in their victory.
1: Shenanigans. Look, here in western New York, and really... All over the country, people hate the Patriots, and they enjoy hating the Patriots, and they need to make excuses for them being successful. But he was not the first to congratulate Tom Brady, and even if he was, so what? That's classy. Hey, nice game. You know, good luck to you before the game. Mm-hmm. So, one picture does not does not tell a story. Yeah. There's so much more to it. The guy's smiling. Uh, With celebrating the touchdown. He he clearly wasn't celebrating the touchdown. If you bought Mm -hmm. into that, you're stupid. No, I I don't think they got help from the refs, and I continue to say this week after week after week. Look, until the Patriots aren't a winning football team, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. on close plays. Until Clayton Kershaw loses complete control, he's going to get benefit of the doubt when it mm-hmm. comes to close pitches. So, no, I just disagree. I couldn't disagree anymore.
2: I say shenanigans as well. Um, look, did the Patriots get away with a few holding calls here and there? Sure. Does every team get away with a few holding calls yeah. here and there? Yeah. The The most important thing to me in this conversation is there was a replay challenge, or, or a booth replay, I believe, where the Patriots fumbled the ball and the Jaguars recovered, and it went to replay. And after what we've seen all year long, I thought, well, this is getting overturned and the Patriots are keeping this football. And lo and behold, the replay does not overturn the call. The the Jaguars retain possession of the football. And right there, I thought the Jaguars were going to win the game. But look, if the Patriots are getting help from the referees, that's the most obvious place to start, right? And it didn't happen. Uh, The Jaguars beat themselves with bad play calling in the second half. The Patriots are also really, really freaking good. So, no, there is no truth to this rumor that the Patriots were assisted in their win by the referees. They
1: may have missed a call here or there, but it happens in every game. The Patriots are good, they're well-coached, and they're very disciplined. Look, come up with something new if you're going to
2: hate on the Patriots. Come up with a better reason. Number three, the Giants officially hired Pat Shermer as their new head coach. One day after his Vikings offense was dominated by the Eagles, whom Shermer's Giants will now face twice every season. So truth or shenanigans, the Vikings getting destroyed by the Eagles on Sunday should be cause for concern for Giants fans like you. What are your
1: thoughts here, buddy?
2: Uh, I say shenanigans. Uh, Look, the Vikings were a much better team all year than what we saw on Sunday. Plus, the Vikings' defense did not look like the Vikings' defense that we've seen all year. And when your defense can't make a stop, you're going to see that in how your offense performs as well. Having to play catch-up is not what they want to do um pat schirmer got the job for a reason which is he's pretty good you know look he got them a game away from the super bowl with case keenum as their quarterback so and and their starting running back got injured in week four so he's a good coach he'll be fine i don't think it's a reason to worry the eagles are really good i agree with
1: you and i call shenanigans on the statement though humorously i thought about it i was like this is the guy we're getting yeah you know as a giants fan but that was Tongue in cheek as I, I was thinking about it. The Eagles had a chip on the shoulder. Look, they, they were, they were tired of hearing the Carson Wentz thing. Yeah. It sure seemed to me anyway. This team is deeper than Carson Wentz and they wanted to prove that their defense was terrific. The coaching was exceptional and Nick Foles played tremendously. The game of his life. Everything went the Eagles way. Look, Schirmer's resume, his workload as a whole, should be what Giants fans focus on, not this one game. And for that matter, maybe facing him twice a year, uh, I suspect he and the staff will get him figured out.
2: Not to mention, I forgot to say that uh, Adam Phelan, one of the Vikings' top offensive weapons, played that game with a fracture in his back. So uh, Jeez. you're going to be a lot less productive when that's the case.
1: So much respect. That's so the... much more of a man than I am.
2: <laughs> oh, for sure. I'd be in bed. Last but not least, at the Senior Bowl, Heisman Trophy winner Baker Mayfield shrugged off comparisons to former former Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel. Truth or shenanigans, Mayfield is the next Johnny Football.
1: Shenanigans. Uh, You can question his maturity a little bit, but Manziel ran his life into the gutter. Mm -hmm. He was an absolute train wreck, and comparing Mayfield to him is colossally unfair, in my opinion. There is much to like about Baker Mayfield, and and some things to dislike about his game. I doubt very much he's going to be as as high a pick as Manziel was, but that should bring less pressure on him and less riding on it for the team, which I, I hope Manziel's in a better place. I say all those things about him. I hope he's in a better place. He's been out of the news, so it seems like maybe he is, but it's just such a poor and unfair comparison for Mayfield as far as I'm concerned.
2: I say shenanigans as well. I agree with you completely. Um, fun fact, Johnny Manziel is still only 26 years old, which seems ridiculous. But i, I got to tell
1: you, Zach, I, I'm rooting for the kid. Yeah, me too. I would love to see him get a shot. I'd love to see him have a career as a quarterback. And honestly, if he loves football, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. You were about to give your answer. But if the guy loves football and he's not able to get a job in the NFL – Maybe the Canadian Football League or 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 the XFL, which apparently is coming back.
2: But he actually saw today that he's negotiating with the CFL team. Good. So hopefully, I I want to see him get a
1: shot. I'd love to see him back in the NFL. And I always love, as does most people, stories of restoration and you know just overcoming the odds yeah. so i'd love to see it i'm sorry go ahead with your answer
2: i actually really love baker mayfield he, he might be my favorite quarterback in the draft you're nuts to be honest and i do think he'll be drafted higher than manzel but really yeah i do think so uh baker mayfield uh of all the top quarterbacks the quarterbacks expected to go in the first round in this draft he has by far the better best numbers against ranked defenses and his accuracy is off the charts. Drew Brees level of accuracy. I think that um, a creative offensive coordinator in the NFL will drop a lot of plays that let him roll out of the pocket where his height won't be an issue. Um, I really like him. Look, the big issue with Manziel is exactly what you said. He was a party guy. He didn't work hard at his craft. Baker Mayfield does. He works very hard at his craft. He's gotten marks for his sportsmanship and things like that at the Senior Bowl already this week. Um, I think Baker Mayfield's going to have a long and successful NFL career.
1: That's going to do it for shenanigans, but there's still more to do on this week's show. So come on back. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. Let's face it. Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes we can even get caught up in habits that are hard to break. That hurt can be especially painful for young people. But thankfully, God heals. Hope Church in Greece is offering a 12-week program called Life Hurts, God Heals. This program is intended to help students who are struggling with pain or addiction due to such things as drinking, cutting, pornography, eating disorders, troubled family dynamics, and more. Hundreds of students from middle school age to college age have been given tools to help overcome life's difficulties through this program, and many lives have been changed as a result. Life Hurts, God Heals is offered on Sundays from 1 to 2.30 p.m. in the Auditorium Theater in Rochester. And of course, it's absolutely free of charge. For more information, please visit the church's website, sharethehope.org, or call the church office at 585-723-HOPE, that's 585-723-4673, and ask for Jill.
0: The brand new Nissan Rogue Sport. Now with available Nissan Intelligent Mobility technologies, like automatic emergency braking. Now on the Nissan Rogue Family. Take on today. Get to your
2: local Nissan dealer for great offers like this.
1: Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Beyond the Game is recorded in... What we think is a very cozy BTG studio here in Rochester, New York, Mm -hmm. the podcast of the show, which, by the way, you're listening to right now, as well as past broadcasts are available at our website, btgprogram.com. They're also available through iTunes and other podcast sources like Google Play. You can subscribe and have it downloaded automatically, just as people from all around the world do each and every week just like the folks in Shreveport, Louisiana, did this past week in downloading the program. Home of the Independence Bowl, which the last time around a few weeks ago saw Florida State just taking it to Southern Miss, 42 to 13. Many interesting things, many interesting people in Shreveport. You may not know this, but according to the good folks there, due to some tax incentives that the state offers, Louisiana is now the third largest film industry in the country, trailing only the obvious, California and New York. I did not know that. A number of films and TV shows have been filmed in the Shreveport area, such as I Saw the Light, which was a movie starring Tom Hiddleston in a lead role about the life of Hank Williams. And you may not know that it was Hank Williams who wrote that gospel song, I Saw the Light. Too many notable people born or raised in Shreveport to be able to list them all. Williams' son, Hank Williams Jr., was born in Shreveport. Terry Bradshaw is on that list of people from Shreveport. Boston Celtics great Robert Parrish. Blues guitar legend Kenny Wayne Shepherd, And four-time Olympic gold medalist Evelyn Ashford. Thanks for listening to Shreveport, Louisiana. Wherever it is that you are listening from today, we're honored that you've made us part of your day. Zach, I make it a rule never to get into a back-and-forth debate on social media. It's it's a poor forum for a discussion, a civil discussion anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced there's a good percentage of people who just take satisfaction in luring other people into some nonsensical exchange, just sort of trolling. And if I reply at all, which is rare that I do, I typically will only allow for one, maybe a second exchange before – I'm done, and I just walk away from the keyboard. I saw a few posts during Sunday's AFC championship game between uh, the Patriots and the Jaguars, which I thought was just disturbing. I saw a number of people who I know to be Christians, and solid ones at that, I I would think. I I believe that. Posting statements that sort of, what would you say, celebrated the head injury uh, that Rob Gronkowski Mm -hmm. suffered. Now, look, you know. I'm in no way a fan of Rob Gronkowski. I've mentioned this a yeah, number here. of times. A number of times, excuse me. I, I don't like the persona he projects. I don't like the glorification of that partying lifestyle, drunkenness, uh, sexual promiscuity. I don't think it's good. It's definitely not biblical. However, I don't know Rob Gronkowski to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I, I don't think that he is. I, I don't know him That whole thing may just be a persona, Zach. I I have no idea. I don't know the man. He might be a wonderful human being, and and maybe he is. But I don't know him to be a believer, so I wouldn't expect him necessarily to agree with my view on such things. The Bible refers to sinners as being blind to their sins. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And just a few verses later in verse 17, the Bible says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all men. I don't think celebrating somebody's head injury is honorable. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight talks of Christians now walking in the light as opposed to darkness as it did prior to giving their lives to Christ. Ephesians five, eight says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. When you're on social media and you're having a good time celebrating somebody's head injury, Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't seem like light to me. That seems more like darkness, which is why it bothered me so much that people who really ought to know better, people who ought to have compassion, those that say they believe in Jesus Christ, were in fact enjoying Gronkowski's misfortune. As I said at the onset, look, I believe these people are good people. They're good Christians. They're solid Christians. I think they just sort of lapsed a little judgment here especially you know so much information is available now when it comes to head injuries Mm -hmm. the league takes so many steps in regards to player safety now it was absolutely shameful to see christians take satisfaction in his injury based on their rooting interest in a football game
2: yeah and i get it you know i'm a bills fan i i've never liked him but For me, he moved towards the top of the public enemy list when he had that cheap shot on Tredavious White where he tried to injure Tredavious White's head. But, you know, all the reasons that I disliked that action that he took attempting to concuss Tredavious White, those are the same reasons why I can't be happy that he got concussed because he's still a human being with a lot of life ahead of him who suffered a brain trauma, you know? And I don't like the guy, but I still never want to see anybody suffer a a traumatic injury like that.
1: It's funny you bring up the Tredavious White thing. I sent out a tweet sharing those thoughts, how I felt like, you know, Christian, shame on you for celebrating this injury. And I had a doctor somewhere out in the Buffalo way. It wasn't a head injury doctor. It, it was some other type of doctor. I, I can't remember, but somewhere out Buffalo white, clearly a Buffalo Bills fan. He tweeted back at me after I posted, Hey, stop being, stop celebrating Gronkowski's injury. You know, it's, it's the shame on you. He tweets back, tell that to Trey White's neck and brain. He almost permanently paralyzed him maliciously. Now, look, I agree the Gronkowski hit was cheap, should have been suspended, was suspended. I thought appropriately, I know you thought it should have been longer, but I'm not sure that it almost paralyzed him uh, permanently. You mm-hmm. might be stretching it just a little bit. Now, look, it had yeah. the potential for that. Absolutely. Certainly. So does a lot of a, a lot of football hits that take place out on the field. So after the fellow tweeted me his response about the Tradavius White, as you've mentioned, I, I sent out my singular reply, the one thing I said, which was, obviously, you missed the point when your parents tried to teach you about two wrongs not making a right. That's when this guy, who obviously thought about his careless remarks later on because they've since been deleted and, you know, probably thought, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said this. Before he deletes them, he says, Gronk's hit was malicious with intent to injure. There's nothing forgiving about that. Sorry, bud. God bless you, though. Can I just say that I am glad Jesus Christ didn't feel that way? I am glad (laughs) that That wasn't God's reply to my sin, that there was nothing forgiving about that.
2: And that's why it's important, I think, as Christians to be forgiving um, in any circumstance, because I know myself personally, I've been forgiven of a lot of things. I'm sure you've been forgiven of a lot of things. What is it that someone can do to us that we can't forgive them of when you think about the things that we've been forgiven of?
1: Here's the thing, the Bible the Bible's pretty clear about rejoicing in the suffering of others. Proverbs twenty-four, seventeen says this do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. When defending his te- integrity, when defending his character, after so many trials had come Job's way. He says this in the book of Job, chapter thirty-one, verses twenty-nine to thirty. If I rejoiced at the destruction of him that hated me or lifted up myself when evil found him, Neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to his soul. Job is saying, look, man, all these things are happening to me. I haven't wished bad on anybody. I haven't cursed anybody. In fact, Romans chapter 12 suggests, in fact, that we should commiserate people with people going through trials, going through hurts. Romans chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. And just a few verses later, in verse 17, the Bible says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all men. Seeing Gronkowski get hurt, rejoicing in it, I don't think qualifies as being honorable in the sight of all. Now, I'm not suggesting that as a Christian you need to accept or or even turn a blind eye to sin. Uh, Look, Gronkowski's hit on Tredavious White was was wrong. It was a result of, clearly, his frustration. He lost control of his his emotions. You you don't have to condone that, and I'm not condoning that. But we do need to be compassionate to the world around us, including Rob Gronkowski. And cheering because he got hurt. Or cheering uh, secretly wanting bad things to happen to people. Maybe somebody at work, you're kind of... They're going through something and you're secretly happy about it. You'd never tell anybody, but deep down, you know, you're taking satisfaction in that. That's just not the right thing to do. The extent of our care and concern for people will be proven. It will be revealed. It will be shown in the deeds that we do, how we care for people, how we act towards those people. That's going to show how we really care. How much do you really care? I wonder about those around you that are going to hell. That's such a difficult question. It's such a convicting question because we all have people around us who don't know Jesus and they're on their way to hell. Do we care enough to make sure that they're getting told, or are are we doing everything we can to reach them with the gospel? And the answer is probably no. And, and look, I'm talking to myself here. I'm not just uh, spouting off like I'm better than anybody. This applies to me. It applies to Zach across the studio. It applies to you probably listening as well. Jesus is compassion in the flesh. He sought to comfort the helpless. He sought to help the hurting. There are so many passages in Scripture which show his compassion, so many passages which show that people were drawn to him as a result of that compassion. Many went to him when they felt there was no other option, when he was their last hope, and as a believer— You may get that very same opportunity at some point. People are watching you. They're going to judge your actions, and they're going to determine whether or not they think you really believe what you say you believe. And when the chips are down in their life, when they feel they've lost all hope, that's when they may come to you and want to know more about your faith. Perhaps you've been in those situations where someone admits, "Hey man, I, look, I don't really believe in God. I, I don't pray. I don't go to church. But I know you do, and just wondering if you would pray for me." It happens. It happens pretty frequently. They saw when you were compassionate to someone who perhaps wasn't deserving it, and they remember that. In his sermon on the mount, Jesus said it in Matthew five forty four, "Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." You know, loving those people who love you back, well. That's really nothing special. That doesn't reveal anything unique about you or is any indication that your life has been changed by God. Matthew 5.46 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? But loving those who are perhaps more difficult to love, uh, those that perhaps are very difficult to even like, that's something people notice. Jesus cared for the weak. He cared for those who were rejected by others. And people noticed. The guy in my Twitter exchange was unable to forgive Gronkowski for his action in a football game. And so when he saw him get what he felt was coming to him, he was glad. But as far as I can tell, this guy isn't a Christian. This guy hasn't been forgiven of his sins. He doesn't know what it is to have that burden of sin lifted and his debt paid. In Matthew chapter 18. Starts in about verse uh, verse 23, Jesus tells the parable of a king who was owed a great debt from one of his servants. He has compassion on that servant, and he forgives him of the debt which he was owed. Yet as it turns out, that person was in fact owed a small debt from one of his peers, much smaller than the debt which he owed the king, and he refused to let that other debtor be released. He showed no mercy. He showed no compassion. Word gets back to the king about this, and he reinstates that debt because he was mad about it and hands the unforgiving servant over to torturers until the debt is paid. He says, look, I, king, is I forgave you, and yet you're not forgiven." this guy. I forgave you of much, and you're not able to forgive of very little. The point is this. God's forgiveness of our sins should motivate us to forgive those who offend us. The chapter ends after that parable. The chapter ends with a bit of a warning from Jesus, a pretty heavy one. Matthew 18, verse 35 says, My Heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That's pretty serious. We need to forgive believers. Are, are you maybe struggling with forgiveness? Is there someone on your life that you want to see bad things happen to? If you're a Christian, God has already forgiven you of a great debt. Anything someone has done to you is is really insignificant in comparison. Nobody could possibly offend you or offend me to the extent that our sins have offended God. They may not deserve forgiveness, but remember, neither did we. And who knows what blessings we may be missing out on as a result of our unwillingness to forgive. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Bible says, because of our sin, our debt is separation from a holy God, a just God. The debt that we owe means an eternity in hell instead of an eternity in heaven after we die and leave this world. Romans six twenty three says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like the king who forgave the debtor in that parable in Matthew chapter eighteen, the free gift of God is to be released. From the debt of sin you owe. You don't deserve it, but God loves you enough that he offers it to you all the same. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God is patient. You're going to eventually have to pay that debt, but God wants you to turn to him. Second Peter three nine tells us God's not wishing for any to perish, but to come to repentance. In that story, I failed to mention that before the king granted forgiveness of the debt, because the servant could not pay the king, the king was going to sell the man, sell the man's wife, sell the man's kids in order to reclaim that debt. The servant begged for forgiveness, and as a result, the king relented. And God is looking for us to seek forgiveness. Jesus Christ has already paid the debt of sin when he died on the cross. He gave his life in our place. He had lived a life without sin. He had no need to die, but he chose to do that. And he, and when he did, when he went to that cross, he took upon it the weight of the sins of all mankind. He took my sins, he took your sins, and he and he paid the price there with his death. But because he had the power over death, he rose again three days later. And he's offering that same power to you if only you seek the forgiveness, that power over eternal death. To be released from the debt of sin is only to believe, repent, repent, and confess. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would encourage you to have a conversation with God, admit your sin and guilt to him. Tell him that you believe everything I just told you about Jesus dying on the cross in your place, that he was buried, that he rose again. Ask God to forgive you and ask him to help you in turning away from your sins. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Well, we realize the extent of our sins were broken and, and were sorrowful, and it causes us to turn away, to not want to do those things again. You have to ask God to forgive you, though. You have to believe, and you have to ask God. Romans 10.9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And this is available to everyone, regardless of the extent of your sins. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've done that, we'd love to hear about it. It would be such an encouragement to us. If you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, send us a note through our website, btgprogram.com, and it just so happens that our friend, Jason Romano, has written a new book about forgiveness. If you're not familiar, Jason has appeared on our program a few times. And after he left ESPN, he now hosts the Sports Spectrum podcast. He struggled with forgiveness says, with a father that uh, was an alcoholic. He had a hard time forgiving that. And Jason shares a story in how God changed his heart in his book, Live to Forgive. And I think the book sells for something like $15 on Amazon. But... We have a number of those here, and if you'd like a copy, it'd be our pleasure to send it to you in exchange for uh, a donation of any type to this radio ministry. I'm not worried about how much you want to give. Whatever you give, we'll be glad to send you the book. And even if you don't want to give, uh, you're not able to give, we'll send it to you anyway if you just ask while supplies last, I should say. Send us a note through our Twitter, through our website, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program.
0: If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA National Championship appearances, and 96 student-athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal secure servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support.
1: Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. In a report from KOMO TV in Seattle comes a heartwarming father and son story. In the Seattle suburb of Shoreline, Washington, 51 year old Steve Peters and his 80 year old father, Dennis, have been keeping a regular appointment to have a game of catch for over 40 years. What guy hasn't been moved by Kevin Costner's character and feel the dreams asking of his dad wants to have a catch? Despite Dennis's age and having moved into an assistant living center, The pair get out as regularly as weather allows to throw the ball together, even if it's just for a few minutes. The faithfulness and dedication of a father and son to their time together having a catch is what I like this week.
2: What I liked this week was the headline that Richie Incognito and Yannick Ngakwe have spoken with each other and cleared the air about Ngakwe's claim that Incognito directed racist comments at him during the Bills-Jaguars wildcard game. Ngakwe was backed into a corner a little bit as nobody on either team was able to back up his claim, but regardless, this is the biblical way that a problem between two people is supposed to be solved, so props to Incognito and Ngakwe for finally handling this like grown-ups.
0: You like that?
1: You like that? Well, that'll do it. That's the show for this week. If you want to know more about the program, visit our website, btgprogram.com. We'd appreciate it if you gave us a follow on social media, at btgprogram.com. At the website, you'll be able to find more information about the show. You'll be able to listen to past broadcasts. And most importantly, there's information about how you can become a believer in Jesus Christ and know Him as your personal Savior. And you can also make a donation to this radio ministry there at the website. This program is mainly listener-supported, so we rely on the support of listeners just like you to be able to continue bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to listeners all around the world through Sports Talk Radio. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody.